If you don't like your marriage, get divorced. If you don't like your church or you don't get your way in your church, leave. Go to another one. If you don't like your pastor, well, we'll leave it there. We're not going to talk about that. I, I had in my notes, get a new one, but don't do that. But loyalty is such a rare thing. Listen to the words of the writer of Scripture in Proverbs 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Throughout Scripture, we see that God values faithfulness. It is an a, a inherent part of who He is because He is faithful. But I want us to think about this and make sure that as we think about this idea of faithfulness, being a fruit of the Spirit, that we're not just thinking of stick to We're not just talking about grit, determination, and willpower. Biblical faithfulness is deeper than that. It's a life of consistency and loyalty and faithfulness, and it flows out of a life of faith. Let me say it this way. Faithfulness is the essence of Christian obedience, reflecting a lifestyle that has accepted God's grace. Let me say that again. Faithfulness is the essence of Christian obedience, reflecting a lifestyle that has accepted God's grace. When you accept God's grace into your life, when you receive the salvation that He offers, then obedience flows out of that. It is a natural response. When I think of all that God has done for me, I just want to serve Him. I just want to live for Him. I just want to obey Him. I want to follow Him. I've heard it said this way, that I just want to keep my nose in the shoulder blades of my master. I want to walk in the dust of the sandals of the Messiah. And I want to stay close to him as he leads me. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Biblical faithfulness. I don't know about you, but there's just something to be said about somebody that does right things at the right time, the right way. And biblically, it would be for the right reason. Someone you can count on. Do you know those people in your life? Can, can you name them? I imagine they come to your mind even now. Someone that is faithful. Somebody you can count on. I heard a story of a young man who applied for a job as a farmhand. And when he got there and they began to interview him and talk to him, they asked some questions about his qualifications. And he said this, I can sleep when the wind blows. Curious at that statement, they, they weren't sure exactly what that meant, but they liked him. He had charmed them. He had shown himself evidently to be uh, trustworthy and truthful. And some days later that they had hired him, the farmer and his wife were awakened in the middle of the night by a violent storm. And in the middle of that storm, they quickly began to check things out to see if everything was secure. They found that the shutters of the farmhouse had been securely fastened. A good supply of logs had been set next to the fireplace. And the young man slept soundly. You see, the farmer and his wife then began to inspect the rest of the property. They found that all the farm tools had been placed in the storage shed, safe from the elements. The tractor had been moved into the garage. The barn was properly locked. Even the animals seemed calm. All was well. Why? This man said in his interview, I can sleep when the wind blows. Because he did his work faithfully and loyally when the skies were clear, he was prepared for a storm when it broke. So when the wind blew, he was not afraid. He could sleep in peace. He just faithfully did what was needed each day, and consequently, peace was his even in the midst of the storm. 
I heard a short poem this week that, that really sums this up, and we'll move to our text in a moment. It, it, think about this, though. It isn't the things you do, it's the things you leave undone, which give you a bit of heartache at the setting of the sun. You ever found yourself wishing that you had been more faithful to a task? Oh, I should have done that. You see, faithfulness and regret really are set against one another. There's sort of a, a pain of discipline and faithfulness, or there's a pain of regret later on. I wish that I had. And as I think about biblical faithfulness, there is coming a day that in the twinkling of an eye that the Lord will step out and He will call with the, the voice of the archangel and the, the sound of the trumpet and He will call us home. And at that time, we will, at, at, at a future date, the day of the Lord, give an account of ourselves. But at that time, all the, the wishing of what we could have done or should have done or thought about doing is over. The time for accounting will begin. My question is, how faithful are you, how faithful am I, to the calling of the Lord to follow in His footsteps? To do the things that He desires of me to do. And that really is not the, the entirety of the message. The center of my message today is an encouragement for you to be faithful. I, I want to talk to you about why we should be faithful. Because everything around us really pushes us against faithfulness. I don't know about you, anybody here tired the rest of you may be too tired to lift your hands but you look you look like you're dragging to me I don't know does that description fit anybody in this day and age anybody tired I, I met a young couple not long ago that had just gotten married in the past year and they were smitten in love and they talked about how tired they were I talked to a college student just last week, and, and the class hasn't even started yet. And he said, I'm just, how you doing? He said, I'm tired. I said, give that a little time. You know, that couple at some point are going to have children, and then come back and talk to me. Some of you would say, well, wait till you've got grandchildren, and you're trying to run around keeping up with them, and come back and talk to me. There's a weariness about people these days. Schedules are busy, information is plentiful with cell phones and otherwise. And the reality is in our life, if we're not careful, we will lose sight of faithfulness. In Galatians chapter 5, and don't turn there, I'm going to ask you to turn to Revelation 3. And we're going to look at a practical application of our, our fruit of the Spirit. I also want to just make mention of this. I've talked to Miss Margaret Poole in our library. She's done an incredible job of gathering resources together for every age group. Commentaries on the book of Galatians as we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit. Books for the kids. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to go and use that resource. Our library is an incredible resource, a blessing for our church family. And, and hopefully there'll be some things that would encourage you along the way to remain faithful. But as we think about faithfulness as part of this list of the fruit of the Spirit, I want you to think big picture with me. The fruit of the Spirit really is developed out of love. All of the other fruit that you see really emanates from love. I've given you a list in your listening guide. Think about it. Joy is simply love rejoicing. Peace is just trusting and resting. Patience is love enduring. Kindness is love serving. And on and on you can see. And I would say this, faithfulness is love proving. Fill that in, if you will. Faithfulness is love proving. What do I mean by that? The consistency of my walk is proof of my love for the Lord. As I continue to obey, and Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. 
So when I am obeying the Lord faithfully and consistently following Him, what I'm doing is proving the love that I have for Him. And it flows out of His love for me. Well, as we move forward in that idea, two more thoughts, and then we jump into Revelation 3. Biblical faithfulness requires trust in what the Bible says about God. Biblical faithfulness requires trust in what the Bible says about God, His existence, His character, His nature, His works. And ultimately, let me give you a second thought, and we'll put those together. Our behavior demonstrates our acceptance of God's salvation activity in our lives. Our behavior demonstrates our acceptance of God's salvation activity in our lives. And I wanted you to see that point and to hear that and to have it hopefully drawn home for you that when we are saved, when we have been redeemed by Jesus, when we have placed our faith in Him, repented of our sin, when we turn away from sin and turn to Christ, then our activity in life demonstrates our belief in that. It demonstrates our acceptance of that. There's fruit in our lives that show it. I had a mom that came to me not too terribly long ago, just burdened about the salvation of one of her adult children. And as we talked about that, she said, I just don't see any, you fill in the blank, what's the next word? Fruit. There's no hunger, there's no desire, there's no lifelong uh, longing for anything about the Lord, not church, not the Word. And, and so in our lives, we can be fruit inspectors. And, and again, I'm not here today to talk about just that nature of salvation. I want to talk to you that have been saved, that, that are on the brink of discouragement and, and possibly weariness that's leading you away from the calling God's placed on your life to remain faithful. But I want you to think about this with me in terms of a church that we read about in the book of Revelation. Now, why did I go through all of that trouble to set all of that up? It's easy in this day and age to get weary. I don't know about you. I have found myself on days saying, I don't know if it's worth it following the Lord. You say, my pastor said that? I bet there are people here that have said that. You have struggled and labored and said, I'm going to follow the Lord faithfully. I'm going to seek holiness. I'm going to desire righteousness. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to church. And you're always, always struggling. Anybody here? But you have a crazy neighbor or coworker, and they can't spell testament, and their life is fine. Hello, thank you, choir. Somebody appreciated that. Maybe you don't live or work with the same people that I've worked with. I'm not talking about our staff. I'm just kidding. That was a good opportunity. You've, you've got a neighbor, though, and their life just seems to be flawless. You're just trying to make sure that the month and the money end at the same time, and they're off at Disney World again. And life is happy, and they're putting pictures on Facebook of how much happier their life is than everybody else's life, and they care nothing about the things of God. And you say, why try? Why do I continue to serve the Lord? And in some respects, it's sort of a selfish motive. We're saying, what's in it for me? Well, I want you to look with me in Revelation chapter 3 at a letter that was written to a church in the middle of difficulty. And this is a springboard out of Galatians because at the end of Galatians, in Galatians 6, Paul writes these words, Do not grow weary. Do not grow weary in well-doing. 
I love that picture. Do not grow weary. It's an encouragement for us today. So for you and for me, I want us to think about this. If you're tired, if you feel like you've served your time and paid your dues and you're ready to just hang it up, today I want to encourage you to be faithful. I want to encourage you to pick back up and get back on track to serve. As, as Scott mentioned earlier, we have places that are in desperate need of volunteers that would connect and plug in so that we might accomplish the purposes for which God has called this church to reach our neighbors, to reach the nations, to reach the next generation, to be a church family that shares Jesus with others. We need people that would rise up and be faithful. And so as we think about this from the book of Revelation, we'll see a church that was facing some interesting Interesting dynamics. Revelation 3, beginning in verse 7, the church at Philadelphia. There are seven churches that are written to here. Now, I know that the book of Revelation is one of the most problematic and maybe um, uh, controversial, if you will, or paradoxical books. But, but the first couple of chapters really need very, very little translation or interpretation. Before we move into the prophetic, we see very simple letters written to seven churches, encouragement and, and commending, but also some condemnation, some warning of them, and, and at least some, um, some recognition of issues that are there. As we look in Revelation 3, we see these churches all with their problems, except for this one uniquely. One church has lost its first love for the Lord Jesus. One church has given way to sexual immorality. One church has mixed orthodox Christianity with false teaching. And it's just kind of begun to, to blend in with the, the world. The, the next one has become lukewarm. God says, you make me sick. He charges each of these churches with false. But when we come to Smyrna and Philadelphia, and by Jesus' own admission here, the, the writer of Scripture, John, is giving through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a commendation that says, you've been faithful. Look with me in beginning in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, and opens and no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I love you because you have kept my word, the word of my perseverance. I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell in the earth. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for instruction from your word. Lord, we know that this was clear instruction to a church that was physically in another time and in another location, but Lord, it brings to bear great application for us today. Help us, Lord, as a, a people to be found faithful. In Jesus' name.
Amen. As John writes these words, he basically says to a church that has grown weary at some level, you have some power, it says. But they've been faithful. They've kept the name of the Lord. They have, have done the right things. They've persevered. But interestingly, what we see here are three promises. And I want you to look at them with me. Number one, I will grant you some indestructible possibilities. He, he says, you've kept my name. You've kept my word, my ways. You've been faithful. And I'm going to open before you a door that no one can shut. And I'm going to shut doors that no one can open. We see the sovereignty of God all over this passage. It talks about the one who is faithful and true. The one who has the key of David. Now, we understand Jesus to be the Messiah. The one called from the city of David. So, this is talking about Jesus himself. And he's saying, I will open this door. I don't know about you, but I find myself at times frustrated and weary and not wanting to, to serve or not wanting to love people that are unlovable. You ever been there? Have you ever found yourself not wanting to forgive somebody who did you wrong? Have you ever found yourself saying, I just don't feel like reading the Bible or praying today. Why should I be faithful? Why should I live righteous? I, I would venture a guess that somebody here today is right on the brink of saying to heck with it all. I've tried to walk in peace. I've tried to live a holy life. I've tried to hold on, but why should I? There are people in this congregation that have gone through tremendous loss over the past few months. You've lost a loved one. You've lost a job. We've counseled and walked with people in many different walks of life. And, and there's a tendency in those times to get frustrated and angry with God. Am I speaking to somebody today? In the midst of those frustrations, in the midst of that difficulty, there are times for you to believe a lie. And this church has kept, Philadelphia has kept the promises of God. You see, they're facing great persecution. Domitian and then Nero would come in and this persecution would be widespread and painful. They have seen family members killed. They have seen their loved ones and friends martyred for their faith. They have seen struggle. And he's writing to them, and he's saying, you've kept on, you have kept up, you have done the right things, and I want you to understand, there are some things that man cannot undo. So before you give up, before you throw your hands up, recognize that God has opened doors to the kingdom for you. There is coming a midnight cry. There is coming a day of reckoning where God will set right all things that are wrong. There is coming a day of justice, but if you've received God's grace then be faithful, recognizing no one can take that away from you, that you are now a part of God's family. You see, these, key, these doors that he's opened are doors to the kingdom, a door to salvation, and even a door to evangelism. Now, I don't want to stretch this text too far into things that it doesn't apply, but, but the application is there. He's saying these are indestructible possibilities for you. You see, when you become a Christian, your life is now marked by a different ethic. Your life is also now marked by a different time frame. I don't have to worry about temporal things. Somebody lies about me and I want to get all bent out of shape about it. I need to stop and realize God has given far more to forgive me than I will ever have to give in forgiving somebody else. He shed his very life's blood for me and for you. God will open doors that no man can shut. He will shut doors that no man can open. We see a picture of the sovereignty of our God, and it ought to lead us to a place of faithfulness. 
God, I'll serve you wherever you want me to serve. I'll go where you want me to go. Why hold on to God's way? Because Jesus writes through John an encouragement to the Christians in Philadelphia and to the Christians in Hattiesburg. Hold on because I am moving on your behalf. For you and for me, as I read that text, I find myself longing to be committed fresh and new today to obedience. I'm encouraged, as Scott mentioned, volunteers. I don't want to call out any given one because I would leave out someone, and today is not that day. We have volunteers that have served in our nursery for 50-plus years. We have people that have taught Sunday school in this church for 40-plus years. We have people that have faithfully been at the doors welcoming and greeting for years. We've had people that have served on this staff for 30-plus years and 15-plus years. There is an element of faithfulness we've seen around us, and I would say to you, if you think that all of your days of serving are past, Consider what's being done in the lives of many of those people. Consider the life of a man like Caleb who at 85 says, Give me the mountain. I want the hill country. I'll take charge of that. Don't give up. Don't quit. It's not about an election cycle. It's not about the political climate. It's about you faithfully following Jesus. See, some of us think, well, if the wrong person, whoever that is, whichever side of the aisle you're on, if the wrong person gets put in the White House, we're all in trouble. The reality is there are doors that God can open and nobody can shut, and there are doors that God can shut and nobody can open, so I just rest at night. I can sleep when the wind blows, like that farmhand. Now, should we worry ourselves with things like elections? Well, we need to be wise. But God's saying to us, I'll grant you indestructible possibilities why worry when somebody says something about you why worry when the wicked are prospering why worry about the enemies in your life because the reality is many of us are worried about enemies that don't even exist in any other place but our mind we allow satan to put fear into our hearts that really never materializes someone said that worrying is like pulling tomorrow's clouds over today's sunshine it's like carrying your umbrella around all day in the sunshine saying, I think it's going to rain right now. The forecast may be for later, but don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Today, you and I need to be found faithful. So for us, as we think about this, God grants to us indestructible possibilities. But secondly, well, let me, let me give you one verse of Scripture before I go to the second point. Psalm 37, 1 through 6. I kind of got down in the mouth. I've used an illustration that has really been part of our lives. I've got a couple of friends that I know that I went to school with at different stages of my life, and it just seems like their life is, is just tracking along pretty good. Now, I know they don't know the Lord. I know in my heart that there are deep-seated issues there. I know that one day they're going to face a, a judgment, and I've longed to share the gospel, but it just seems that their lives are going so well. They're prospering. And God, they, they thumb their nose at you. God led me to Psalm 37, 1 through 6. Listen to the words of Scripture. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will put in you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. 
Trust also in Him. He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. You see, God has opened up to us as believers vast wealth beyond any prosperity that somebody on this earth can seek. Everything that they're striving after that I find myself at times self-envious of at times are things that are going to rot, rot and rust and decay and go away. God has reserved for me in glory an imperishable treasure. The Lord Jesus Christ will be our God. We will dwell with Him. The new Jerusalem comes down, it says in Revelation 21, and the dwelling of our God will be with man. Don't seek after those things that are fleeting when God has given you indestructible possibilities. Number two, I will give you a supernatural protection. Look at verse 10 with me, if you will. As we look back to the scripture in verse 10, we see something kind of interesting. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Now, I don't know fully all of what this passage is referring to. We know that the book of Revelation had an immediate application for that church in Philadelphia. There was some protection there, but we know that this is a picture of all of the churches of all of the ages, and so there is coming a day of great testing. We believe that God will rapture the church before that day of tribulation, and I'm thankful for that. The best picture I can give comes from the life of my children. Because I didn't experience this. My children were faithful as students in school, and they often didn't have to take final exams. That was not the case in my life. I took every final exam that was ever placed in front of me and prayed that that final exam would help me out of all of the mess that I'd made all the way up until then. But oftentimes, because of their faithfulness in school and doing right and making good grades, they were exempt from those final exams. God's saying, I'm going to protect you from that hour. I will watch over you. And so when you find yourself growing weary and saying, I just struggle in this culture, I'm fearful, keep on keeping on, for the Lord is the one fighting for you. There are days that seem dark and difficult. There are days that seem like they're filled with turmoil and struggle. But the Lord has opened doors that no one can shut. He has shut doors that no one else can open. Doors of evangelism. You might have somebody that is in your life and you say, they'll never trust God. You did. I bet somebody along the way said, I don't think God could ever save them. But he did. And now it comes to this place where you say, I, I just am fearful of doing these things. And God says, I'll protect you. I will preserve you. I will watch over you. I'm so thankful that he keeps us. God is a keeper. Oh, to be kept by the power of God. To be in his sovereign hand. I want nothing if the, I, I would be nothing if the Lord didn't keep me. I don't know about you. But I think of how he kept me even before I turned to him. Let me give you number three. I'll, God says, in essence, I'll give you unexplainable provision. If we were to read on, starting verse 11 and moving forward. Look, if you will, in verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God. A new name. The Bible says in the book of Philippians that there will be 
given to him a new name. And that name we know is Lord. He will be called Lord over all that every knee will bow. But it says here he would write on the faithful this new name. My name, Scott Hanbury, doesn't give me access to a whole lot. I, I've dropped it before. You know, I've dropped my name in some various places, and it didn't get me in the door. I, I dropped the name Scott Pittman. That maybe gets, gets me a little farther. I, I'll drop names if I have access, but you know what? The Lord has written on my life a new name. My name is now redeemed. My name is now forgiven. My name is blood-bought. My name is accepted in the beloved. And that gives me access to all of those doors that he can open. It gives me access to a promise of heaven. It gives me access to life eternal. It gives me access to spiritual power to witness in his name and the ability to be faithful. And it gives me the spirit of God to allow, allow that fruit to grow in my life. And in all of those things, I simply cry out to him that I have access in the name of Jesus with that written on my life. I, there's nothing that I can't do. In fact, Scripture says that apart from me, you can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can endure whoever goes in the White House. I can endure whatever happens in the community. I can endure rising crime. I can endure scoffing neighbors. I can endure competing religions. I can endure those that might... Come against my faith. Students, there is a growing culture in school and in college, in universities, where there is just a, a, at odds with science, is set at odds against the Scripture. And the reality is you can stand against that because the proof is in the pudding. Noah went in uh, into the ark, a great minority, but he came out a majority because he stood faithful. And I would say to you, stand faithful. Hardy Street, be faithful to serve the Lord every single day. Tomorrow morning at work, be faithful. Recognize the name that God has given to you. Recognize that He's given you all that you need. All the provision is in His name. Indestructible opportunity. Supernatural protection. Unexplainable provision. I just wanted to finish out this series with an encouragement to our church. Church family, next month we're going to begin sort of casting vision. It's in your bullets, and we've called it Vision Month, to really clarify how we go about the process of making disciples, of doing all that God's called us to do. It's not anything new. Next Sunday morning, I'm preaching a message entitled, Becoming Who We Already Are. Just beginning to recognize what God has already shaped us to be. But I wanted to encourage you now, because if we don't have this one right, we miss the rest. God desires that you and I are faithful. In fact, the commendation of the saints is this. And all of us long to hear it. Well done, good and faithful servant. May we be a church that is found faithful before the Lord. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for our time together. Lord, thank you for the examples we see here in Scripture of faithfulness and, and for the promises that come with that encouragement. Lord, I pray your blessings on our time of decision. If there are those that need to unite with our church family, I pray that you would lead them to do so. If there are those who need to trust you and be saved and, and see this fruit born out in their life, I pray today 
that they would step out with great courage and be saved. Lord, if there are those who have have sat down on this journey, I pray that you'd give them strength to rise up and begin to follow again faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and sing. Members of the staff will be here during this time of decision. You just let God have his way.